The Spiritual Freedom Show with Richard Lawrence, where politics is not the answer, materialism counts for nothing, and spirituality will set you free. Well, welcome to the Spiritual Freedom Show. And I'm really excited today because we're joined by some really good friends uh, and people who do so much for the spirituality of the world, and that's Tanya and Olaf Solberg, who are in Auckland, New Zealand. And we also have with us uh, an excellent reader of spiritual literature, uh, and he's going to be reading some very interesting things for us, and that's Pete Higginson here in London, and as always, joined by Darren Ball. Well, today we're going to be doing something I don't think any other radio show will be doing in the world. I'd be very pleased if they were, actually. And that is to focus on cosmic consciousness. And I have to put my hands up right from the beginning and say this is not something that I have experienced, certainly in this life. And uh, so, therefore, I'm going to be drawing on the tremendous knowledge and the wisdom of the source book for the Spiritual Freedom Show, which, of course, is the nine freedoms. And for the regular listeners, you'll know this is a set of teachings delivered by Mars Sector 6, a very great, a lord actually, uh, who not only gives teachings but gives the very law of life. And we're so fortunate that they were channeled, these teachings, by I believe the greatest medium in history, by quite a long chalk actually, and that's Dr. George King, and he has experienced or did experience cosmic consciousness, which is a very rare thing. So we have his genuine, real insights into this state. So this, by the way, is the fifth freedom. And for those of you who uh, aren't familiar with the nine freedoms, if this is your first show, welcome. You're very, very welcome. And please do go to the nine freedoms page on the Ethereum Society website, which is Ethereus.org. That's A-E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S.org. And you'll find the background to it, how it was delivered, not only the, the book, uh, which is available there, but the actual transmissions, the audio version of the transmissions and the lectures, uh, which are outstanding as delivered by Dr. King. Outstanding because he really understood them and really lived them uh, as the true master that he was and undoubtedly is. Uh, but what we have on this show is the chance to take some of these pearls, uh, just some of the short aphorisms, and it's absolutely full of aphorisms, and study those in more depth individually. And we're going to be doing that. This is the first time we've come as far as the fifth freedom on this show, and we're going to be looking at what it is. And the wonderful thing is that although I, and I imagine all our listeners, and I would think nearly everyone if not everyone actually on this physical realm has not fully experienced cosmic consciousness i mean unascended people here um then we will that's the great news it is coming we are going to get there it's something for all of us that's the wonderful liberating thing about the nine freedoms these are signposts along the way 
that we can reach and that we will reach. So let's go straight then to the text. We're privileged to be allowed to play these extracts with the permission of the international directors. And so here we have the first extract from the Fifth Freedom as delivered by Mars Sector 6 through Dr. George King. There comes a stage when the a desire a to break forever the bars of selfishness adorns service is performed there comes a following stage when enlightenment alike a sun a doth flood the server with its a golden light wisdom adorns there comes a stage when at once the consciousness of the individual soars to mighty heights unlimited unbounded by mind high into the realms of intuition of divine inspiration it goeth through space where time stands quite still non-existent immobile wow how wonderful is that um a beautiful concept a beautiful reality and one that is attainable by every man, woman on earth, and one that we will sometime attain. It's really up to us. This is the teaching we're given as to when. And I think it's very significant that right from the beginning there in that extract, Mars Sector 6 identifies the crucial stage. He says there comes a stage as being the, the desire to break forever the bars of selfishness. Now, in the past, if you look particularly to the Eastern teachings, it might have been the desire to break away from an ordinary materialistic life or the desire to search for truth about the nature of existence. And very often, and this was a, a, the big carrot, as it were, that was given and rightly given, uh, but the desire to find one's own enlightenment, which might have been identified as the critical stage when somebody wants to break away and do that. And all those things are very important. They all stand for every spiritual aspirant. But here we have a change. Here we have Mars Sector 6 identifying this key moment as the moment that we choose to serve. And this is the big change uh, from some of the teachings even a thousand years ago. And some of the teachings that are still being put out, strangely enough, in the New Age movement, even now. Uh, but actually, it's service that is, if you like, is the marker in the sand, as they used to say. And this, he says, this 
desire to serve and the practice of service is the thing which will pave the way for enlightenment. There's a wonderful phrase there, which like a sun will flood the server with its golden light and cause the dawn of wisdom. And he's saying there that you need to serve to become enlightenment. You can't wait for enlightenment before you serve. And we've talked about this before on the Spiritual Freedom Show, and it's very relevant to this fifth freedom as well. And we mentioned the great Jetson Milarepa, just one example, about a thousand years ago in Tibet. He set out to find enlightenment. He knew, and he stated, that he would be able then to serve all life. And so he set out to do it, and according to the writings, which I personally do believe, he did achieve enlightenment. But here's a point. Today, he wouldn't be able to do that. He would have to serve maybe in the villages, maybe give healing, maybe give teaching before reaching that stage. So here we have a big change. And then Mars Sector 6 identifies the third stage And I I can't better his words and the wonderful way that he delivered them. I think this is the great thing about listening to these uh, texts because you see the power, the energy, the emphasis of the communicating intelligence, in this case, Mars Sector 6. And he says this, and I'm quoting him now, when at once the consciousness of the individual soars to mighty heights, unlimited, unbounded by mind. That's interesting. High into the realms of intuition, of divine inspiration, it goeth. And here we have uh, an absolute key statement. Through space where time stands quite still, non-existent, immobile. Uh, And this is cosmic consciousness. Has had many names through history, was called Nirvana, has been called Seedless Samadhi, And by other names, some people haven't even named it. They've just referred to an ecstatic state, depending on the tradition in which they lived. But the 19th century Hindu saint, saint who was known as Ramakrishna, actually, he came from another world. He used to teach in wonderful parables, rather as the Master Jesus did before him, actually. And one of his parables describes four friends who were out for a walk, and they saw a place enclosed by a wall. They couldn't see the place, actually. They just saw the wall around it. The wall was very high. They were all eager to know what was inside. And one of them climbed to the top of the wall and looked over. And what he saw left him speechless with wonder. He couldn't describe it to his friends, but he did cry out in wonder and he jumped over the wall. And I think the expression on his face was seen and his cry of absolute awe was heard. And that was enough for the others also to climb the wall and jump over to the other side. And what they saw when they looked over was the absolute, or Brahman, if you like. They couldn't describe it, but the probably blissful look upon their face and the sound of their exclamation was enough to inspire others to follow them. And the Ramakrishna's point in this parable is that you can't really describe it. Um, it, it's something that you can only experience, but by following one who has seen it and who has then jumped over the wall and entered into it, uh, we can all get there ourselves. Um, but having said that, there are two descriptions that I know of, of cosmic consciousness, 
both of which I would personally believe, and both of which we're going to hear readings from uh, during this show, very short readings, by Pete Higginson. Um, so this would be the experience of oneness with divinity, or at least as near as it's possible to attain oneness with divinity, and then through that, oneness with the universe. It's very rarely attained, but we can all attain it. And we have to take this path of bravery, love, service, enlightenment. As mentioned before, they're not necessarily in order of importance, those first four freedoms. They're given as they were given. Uh, they all relate to each other. But when we've mastered those or gained enough experience from those, then we're ready for this fifth freedom. And those few teachers who really have attained this have hardly ever tried actually to describe it. And all of them uh, are masters. And that's male and female, of course, by the way, when we use the term masters. And those fortunate enough to be their sannyasins or disciples uh, would follow them uh, down that road, or at least try to. And as I said earlier, I'm not a master. I have not entered the state of con cosmic consciousness. And so I couldn't describe it even if I had the right words to describe it, because I haven't been there. But there are some who have. But let me just say this. I would strongly advise you, again, to use your discrimination, because there's a lot of people out there claiming enlightenment and different states who haven't really attained it. Uh, they may believe they have, or they may just be making it up. It's, it's not clear. But you do need to discriminate very carefully. But there are two teachers I certainly can vouch for. And one of those is Paramansa Yogananda, who includes in chapter 14 of his wonderful autobiography a description of what he calls the experience of cosmic consciousness. But he only experienced it because his master, I think I'm pronouncing this right, the great Sri Yukteswar, induced it with a gentle strike on his chest above the heart. So it was given to him, and I'm sure it was given to him in the knowledge that he would spread it, and he certainly did. What a wonderful uh, promoter of spirituality was the great Paramansa Yogananda. Thousands have been inspired by reading what we're actually going to hear an extract from right now, read to us by Pete. So just bear in mind, he was in this state, uh, induced by his own teacher, his own master, and he's giving us just not a full description, but some words to, to, to show exactly what he was going through or to try to show that. And let's listen to this now. And I'm going to ask Pete, who is one of the best exponents I know of reading aloud spiritual literature, to read a short extract from Paramansa Yogananda's experience in cosmic consciousness. All objects within my panoramic gaze trembled and vibrated like quick motion pictures. My body, masters, the pillared courtyard, the furniture and the floor, the trees and the sunshine, occasionally became violently agitated until all melted into a luminescent sea, even as sugar crystals thrown into a glass of water dissolve after being shaken. The unifying light alternated with materializations of form, the metamorphosis revealing the law of cause and effect in creation. An oceanic joy broke upon calm, endless shores of my soul. The Spirit of God, 
I realized, is exhaustless bliss. His body is countless tissues of light. A swelling glory within me began to envelop towns, continents, the earth, solar and stellar systems, tenuous nebulae, and floating universes. The entire cosmos, gently luminous like a city seen afar at night, glimmered with the infinitude of my being. The dazzling light beyond the sharply etched global outlines faded somewhat at the farthest edges. There I could see a mellow radiance ever undiminished. It was indescribably subtle. The planetary pictures were formed of grosser light. The divine dispersion of rays poured from an eternal source blazing into galaxies, transfigured with ineffable auras. Again and again, I saw the creative beams condense into constellations, then resolve into sheets of transparent flame. By rhythmic reversion, sextillion worlds passed into diaphanous luster. Then fire became firmament. Thank you, Pete, and beautiful words. We're going to be hearing some, I believe, even greater ones. In fact, I think Yogananda himself would agree with that statement, uh, written by Dr. George King himself about cosmic consciousness later in the show. But now we're going to move to a regular slot, and this is with Darren Ball, who is really the, I was going to say he's the glue, but that wouldn't be right. He's not the glue. He's the person who applies the glue to this show and uh, holds us all together in place. And uh, Darren... How are you? Welcome to the show. Hi, Richard. Doing great. Thanks for having me on again. Good. So do we have any questions, any comments coming in from listeners and from people in general? Yeah, I'd say to all of our listeners, it's been, uh, it's been great hearing from you. Thank you for your comments and your questions and for sharing you know, some of your stories and the experience that you've had with these teachings and practices. It's an inspiration, certainly for other people, and it's great to be able to, to be on, able to answer them on the show with Richard. So do keep them coming in. That's to spiritualfreedom at richardlawrence.co.uk if you'd like him to answer them on the show. And I'll say, by the way, if you um, uh, want to visit Richard's website, that's richardlawrence.co.uk, and you'll find on there other podcasts and interviews that he's done on, on other shows like Collective Evolution, The League Project, etc. So I thought I'd start today, Richard, um, with this comment, actually, which came in after the show that we did recently about the benefits of psychic abilities. Mm. And it's one which I thought would be worth sharing re- with everybody, particularly as it relates to um, tuning into the intuition, let's say. And this person writes as follows. A number of years ago, I was working at my desk and a little voice inwardly said, call Tom. So I picked up the phone to speak to an old friend that I hadn't talked to in a long time. Tom answered the phone and was overwhelmed that I had called him at that time, as he told me he was riding his bike on a highway, trying to get the courage up to go in front of a bus. He was going to commit suicide. And there's a very interesting story about all of that that I shall spare you. But the bottom line is, yes, do listen to this small, quiet inner voice within you that is i mean that's so moving isn't it darren mm-hmm. and that's exactly what we were talking about you know sometimes you'll get a prompting you don't know is it my imagination is it real and it, you may maybe you don't know but if no harm can come of you following it and no harm i mean the worst that could have happened is that tom and said uh, actually i don't want to hear from you and and <laughs> so nothing's lost but in this case my gosh you might have saved a life and that's not by the way the first story of that kind i've heard because i used to do regular radio shows 
phone-in shows on many radio stations, actually, but particularly in London and Manchester in, in the UK. And people would phone in with their stories. And these were people who wouldn't say they were psychic at all. And yet they were having these psychic experiences. That's not the first time I've heard someone tell an account of how following their intuition saved somebody else's life, by the way. Thanks so much for, for sharing that with us all. Yeah, I think it's interesting that, you know, many people wouldn't call that psychic abilities, wouldn't call it intuition. And yet it is a, you know, it is a prompting, an inner prompting that they feel and do act upon. Absolutely. Uh, that's something that we all have. Yeah. Uh, just reflecting on what you were talking about there, Richard, before before we switch to this segment, um, and I thought I'd pick out this next one, which I, I know it's not a brief answer, but nevertheless, I think it's a, an important one. Um, this person says, hello, I'd like to ask this question. How does one meditate and for how long per day should one meditate? Yeah, um, you know, it, that's, that, as you say, is not a short answer, but, um, and, and that's something we will touch on again on the show. You know, meditation is one of those words. Dr. King actually used to think it, the word was slaughtered. He thought people really didn't use it correctly at all, and they don't. Um, and I must admit, I have even written books and, and been involved in what you might call basic meditation, but that's not real meditation as he saw it. Um, so what a lot of people think meditation is, is just sort of calming yourself, relaxing yourself, perhaps doing some deep breathing exercises. And, and um, as it were, it it's a, could be a stress coping mechanism for some people. It can certainly help the health, uh, this kind of uh, practice. There might be a visualization with it. And that kind of thing can be very useful in life. I think everybody needs to do that sometimes. But if you want to really get serious about meditation, I would certainly recommend deep breathing exercises as to how often you do it. Well, that's up to you. I do it every day, but that's a, a choice. Um, Dr. King himself at one time did it for many hours a day. Um, at you, you, you have to see what you can fit into your life. And broadly, some people use meditation to mean some kind of spiritual practice program. And if it's that, then yes, that's something I think really I would recommend is done daily. And I would include in it something else, which isn't meditation per se, but which is prayer, which is service, of course, as well. So as I say, this is a vast topic. Uh, we, we draw on the book, Realize Your Inner Potential, which was written by Dr. King. I was privileged to co-author it, but it was his book. And that contains the best practices I know. And we'll be happy. I think the best thing, Darren, to say is if people want guidance, if they want help, they can contact us and you know we can try and help them structure a, a set of practices they can use preferably every day. And, and, and as far as how long, Again, it depends what you've got available in your life, really. But, I mean, it could be anything from 15 minutes a day, maybe. And I think most people can do that all the way through to hours, depending how much time you have available, how much time, I should say, you make available. And, Darren, thanks for those questions. Um, but I really think we must move on to our, our first guest because we have a, a moment of truth coming up, as we do every week. And I'm delighted to be introducing for this uh, this week uh, Tanya Solberg. He's a very active staff member of the Ethereum Society in New Zealand. Our New Zealand branch has been for years. It's on the committee there. And what a wonderful branch that is. I've had the pleasure to go there three times, actually. And it's a, certainly a wonderful group of people doing fantastic work uh, for the Ethereum Society and most of all for the world. Tanya works as a chartered accountant. She's been teaching workshops on a range of spiritual self-development subjects for over 20 years. And today, 
She's going to share with us an inspiring experience she had on a particular place. She'll tell us about it uh, at a holy mountain, and it's called Mount Wakefield. So, Tanya, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Richard. It's uh, certainly a pleasure to be here. Now, the experience I want to talk about, it actually isn't um, a recent one. It was something that took place about um, 20 years ago. And it was when I first experienced the tremendous spiritual energy that can be generated from praying dynamically on a holy mountain. Now, I was brought up in an Orthodox Christian religion. And so I'd been used to using Christian prayers all my life. But in my youth, I didn't really understand how prayer worked. I'd recite the words of the prayers in church. I had no thought of their meaning. I didn't project any love or feeling in these prayers. I merely said them by rote. So basically, I had no idea how to really pray. And it wasn't something that I was taught in church. Even though I attended Christian Bible studies, um, we weren't taught how to pray. But when I found my spiritual path in the Aetherius Society in my early 20s, I was finally taught how to pray dynamically with great intensity, love and feeling. And I also learned what a potent tool it can be to help other people and the world. And I learned that prayer wasn't just confined to a church and four walls, but that you could actually go out into nature and pray. And in particular, that energy is available in holy mountains around the world that you can tap into to help energize your prayers. So I was really excited to learn that the society also organizes pilgrimages where groups of people come together to pray on one of these mountains. And for me, this just sounded like the ultimate thing to do. I love hiking. I love being out in nature. And now I was going to be able to do this with a group of people for a spiritual cause. So the experience I'm going to talk about happened in 1996. It was my first opportunity to join one of these pilgrimages um, to Mount Wakefield. This is the holy mountain which we have here in New Zealand. And this particular pilgrimage had been sanctioned by Dr. George King, which made it even more special, and was attended by an international director from England with his wife and 20-odd pilgrims from Australia and New Zealand. We even had a film crew present who helicoptered in. They were going to um, use us on a news clip that was going to be shown. So everyone was pretty excited. We had a glorious day, blue skies, warm weather, fantastic views from the mountain. And even though it's a three to four hour climb, we were feeling pretty exhilarated. Now, after we reached the top of the mountain, we all stood in a circle and started chanting Holy Mantra. And then we took turns dynamically saying one of the prayers out loud from the 12 blessings to use this as a focal point to help direct out energy. And we'd adopted what we call the prayer mudra, which is where you raise your hands to shoulder height and your elbows are bent. Now, when it was my turn to pray, as I started my prayer, I suddenly felt a surge of power coming up through my feet from the very mountain itself. It wasn't just a gentle energy that gradually built up, but a sudden, swift, dynamic surge of power that swept up my feet, my legs, into my body. And it was so powerful, it felt like I'd been suddenly plugged into an electric socket. And as it came into my body, it actually forced my arms out from a bent position to straight out in front of me. And I remember being so surprised by this that I tried to bend my elbows only to find I couldn't bend them because the energy streaming through my arms was just so strong. And this lasted for the whole time I said this prayer. So it would have been roughly about a minute long. And then as I reverted back to doing mantra, it slowly started to dissipate over the next few minutes. Now, I wasn't the only person present that day who felt tremendous energy. And some people even had visions. 
So it was such an amazing experience that it left me with absolutely no doubt whatsoever that great spiritual power resides within these holy mountains and that this energy can be accessed through unselfish prayer to help our world. So this was my moment of truth that I wanted to share with you, Richard, and with all those listening. Wow, what a wonderful moment of truth. And what a fantastic, I love that, plugged into an electric socket. Uh, that's great. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Tanya, o- Tanya Solberg uh, from New Zealand with your moment of truth. And I think that's going to inspire a lot of people, by the way, to want to visit a holy mountain. And some of you will be able to, and some of it's rather difficult because they're in certain countries. I mean, on our website, they're all listed. That's ethereus.org. And I would say also, though, you can you don't have to even be on a holy mountain. If you can't get to one, you can have an experience. And that's the key thing here, I think, with spiritual practice. Go by your own experiences. It's not just a leap of faith. Uh, as Tanya said there, people were having visions, people were having various experiences. And um, that's very inspiring, I think, for, for all our listeners. So thanks again, Tanya. Well, we're now moving back to our topic of this show, namely cosmic consciousness. Uh, as you probably gathered, I'm completely out of my depth, having not experienced it myself. And yet, very inspired because this is going to be the birthright of each one of us at some point in some life and we can start preparing for it right now that's the beauty of the nine freedoms it's giving us all these signposts as you'll see as the as we develop through even higher freedoms than this but let's now go please to our second clip from the great mars sector six and taken from the fifth freedom cosmic consciousness He does not realize and cannot fully realize until after lives of service that no one is a nearer relative to him than his enemy. He does not realize that he is a cell in the body of the cosmic whole until he has gained the four freedoms Take these steps, O brothers of earth. Break from materialistic bondage and limitation and go ye into the dawn of cosmic a consciousness, a form, a by this, a move, a you, approve your readiness for even a greater step. So once again, Mars Sector Six brings us back to service. It's lives of service. We have to go through till we realize, 
not just believe or work it out or logically talk about it, but realize that no one is a nearer relative to us than our enemy. And it's it's easier said than done that. It's one thing to serve loved ones, family members, and so on, and we should do that. It's our duty to do it. But that doesn't demonstrate the personal detachment that serving people we don't even know and even an en- enemy. You might say, well, you know, I haven't got any enemies. And, and good if you haven't got any enemies. But I would say this, that if you make a very significant contribution in spiritual service and a marked one, and it's, it's, it's identifiable, uh, you are going to have forces, I'm afraid, sometimes individuals, I'm afraid, I'm, so- I'm not afraid, I'm sorry to say, who will regard you as their enemy uh, because they don't want it. They want to stop it, and they might attack you in a number of ways. And yet, despite this, if you can still regard them as near a relative to you, a relative because they're part of the same human race, and you can demonstrate this through service, For example, let me give an example, by praying for them, by sending love energy to those very people who in one way or another are attacking you or maybe are jealous of you um, or whatever it might be and sending bad energy in your direction. And and I'm sure that happens to a lot of people in life. Actually, it can even happen within families. It can happen in any community. It certainly can happen at work. Sending love energy. And it's a difficult thing to to do, but I must say it's one which is embodied in a wonderful prayer. And it is a prayer, by the way, you can use. It's delivered by the Master of Love, Jesus, through Dr. King, and it's called the Prayer for Spiritual Workers. And you find it on the Ethereum Society website. It's in some of our publications as well, but it's there. It's available for your use. Go to ethereist.org. And if you're a spiritual worker, which means you're doing service of some form, you know, we've said before, some people who wouldn't regard themselves as spiritual at all, and yet perhaps are going into war-torn areas and helping not just the victims of on their side of the uh, battle or the country they come from, but the en- the so-called enemy too, that's, those are very spiritual people. And this prayer can be used by spiritual workers, and it's returning love or returning whatever's coming their way with love. And that's a realization of oneness with all human life on this planet, one race. And by the way, embracing the animal kingdom, absolutely. They know love. I'm sure those of us who have pets know that they can feel it. They can identify it. They can sense energy very quickly in, in many cases. And plant life, too, by the way. Many experiments have been done on plants. Uh, So, you know, in in university trials, actually, which show that they respond to energy, whether it's good or bad, uh, and their growth responds to energy. And it can even extend to inanimate life. Even machinery will respond to love energy. Try it. Bless your car and see. Uh, you, you might need to do mechanics as well, of course, but you you might be able to enhance its function by the energy, the love that you send it, or your computer. That can be difficult when the computer's going wrong. Uh, as I say, it doesn't replace a repair, but it can certainly help. And then the next step, says Mars Sector 6, is realization of oneness with the cosmic whole. And to do that, we have to have lived bravery, love, service, and enlightenment. 
demonstrated those things to a certain stage, and then we realize something more even than loving all people, all life on this planet. We realize we're part a cell in the body of a cosmic whole. And rather than me talking about that realization, far better for, for you to hear the realization of someone who did enter at will, and in this case, unlike Yogananda, not induced by his master, induced by himself, big difference there, as I'm sure Yogananda would, would agree, uh, and I believe he would. And this one is a description which is published in the Nine Freedoms, in the book. It's outstanding. It's very technical. It's very precise. Uh, it tells you, because Dot King was a master of Kundalini Yoga, he is able to define exactly what happens as each psychic center is opened all the way through to the highest one, which is Brahma Chakra. So it's it's very it's very precise account, and you'll notice that it's written in the third person. That of itself is interesting. It's significant, actually. So rather than talking about I, uh, Dr. King writes about he. He's so detached from his own persona, he's observing what's happening to himself. So I'm now going to reintroduce Pete Higginson, who kindly read for us this excerpt, which is a description of the experience of cosmic consciousness by Dr. George King. His consciousness reached outwards, holding, and gradually came the realization of oneness. No longer was he a light in the wilderness as he had been before, but now he was an essential part, an intimate part, an interrelated part of all things. His consciousness soared above the environment, above the city in which his cold body sat immobile, around the city, around all things and all people and all environments. Soaring upwards and outwards, he was now in the full, complete realization that he was life, which was manifesting in countless different ways in order to gain the experience necessary, the control demanded over matter itself. Here, in such an elevated state as this, came a deeper realization than ever before of the interrelationship of all things of the life of all things. When he dwelt for a moment upon a rock, it sprang into vibrant life before his eye. It breathed. It had feeling. It had disappointment. The rock, in some vague way, experienced passion. It had a soul, a veritable spiritual essence which linked it with him, with all. As the state became even more advanced, he felt as though he was above the world, embracing it all, a part of it, living with it in complete intimacy, knowing it, appreciating it, loving it as he had never felt loved before. He became one with that upon which his superconsciousness dwelt. He became detached from this oneness when he felt he should, in order to learn from the experience of detachment, and attached when he wanted to, in order to learn from the experience of attachment. He became existent in timelessness. 
Thank you very much, Pete. Existence in timelessness, rather like Marcel said earlier, time stands quite still, non-existent, immobile. Now, one of the great aphorisms of Dr. King was this, and I'm going to share this with you, and it goes like this. I am naught, said a man, naught but me, answered God. And I remember when Dr. King first told me that in the dining room in Ethereum's house in London over 40 years ago, he actually reprimanded me for not getting its meaning more quickly. And the human brain can try to overcomplicate things rather than recognizing the profundity of simplicity. The meaning of that aphorism, I am naught, said a man, naught but me, answered God, is that our complete journey uh, is towards cosmic consciousness. It, it is about humility, but it's about far more than that. I am naught, said a man, means no attachment, no possession, no limitation of any kind whatsoever. That's why Raja Yoga writings refer to this state as seedless samadhi, because even the final thought, which they regard as a seed, the thought that I am divine, even that thought, is transmuted at that point into state of being divine, oneness with divinity, oneness with the cosmic whole. So when a man, and by the way, this is an old fashioned generic term for both genders, and that's used, I have to say, in the nine freedoms. When the word brothers is used, it, it was an old way of saying all people. It's, it's not used now, but it was then and that's what it means. But when a, a person has truly fried the seeds, as the Raja Yogi would say, and all of them, and in modern terminology we'd say transmuted all thought, and that includes any and all psychic realizations, by the way, and there's nothing then left except spirit, naught but me, answered God, because the spirit is the divine spark of God within each and every one of us. And in cosmic consciousness, we're bathed in the light of the spirit because everything else which could obstruct it or limit it has been transmuted. Even the physical body is completely immobile. You couldn't walk if you tried because when Kundalini is raised, you're virtually in a state of physical paralysis and it only ends when you leave that state. And these are things explained very well by Dr. King. Um, so Dr. King actually was so much a master that he virtually mastered being a master, if such a thing as possible. And he demonstrated detachment from this condition of cosmic consciousness, as you'll see if you read the full description in The Nine Freedoms, and he left it at his own will. And I, I won't say more because I don't want to ruin your reading of it. Uh, he made a choice and he left it which takes us back to the very end of this extract by Mars Sector 6, who says that cosmic consciousness will prove our readiness for even a greater step. It's not the end of the journey, as many people, most of those who talked about nirvana would say, you're amalgamated into the divine, that's the end. No, to complete Ramakrishna's parable of the wall and the four friends who jumped over that wall, they would have to climb back again to the other side and continue their work of service even after entering that state. Only then could they be ready for an even greater step. And that, of course, is the sixth freedom of ascension, which we've touched on before. And we're going to touch on again 
uh, next week. But I don't want to say any more because I'm very pleased that we have our guest presenter waiting, uh, waiting in Auckland, New Zealand, actually. And he's the organiser of the branch there, uh, the husband of Tanya, who you heard earlier, Olaf Solberg. Yoga has been a part of Olaf's life since he was a teenager in Norway. And it was 27 years ago that he discovered these teachings. He's led many, many workshops and given practices taught by Dr. George King. And today, he's going to introduce us to the first of six breathing exercises you can use to vitalize your whole being. So welcome, Olaf. Thank you, Richard. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's breathing is something we all do and we do all the time, whether we think about it or not. And uh, this is probably one of the reasons why it seems we take it for granted. And uh, as long as we breathe, uh, we think we're okay and that's about it. Um, But there's so much research that's been done showing that there's great benefits from certain breathing exercises such as deep breathing. So it is kind of unfortunate that uh, breathing exercises appears to be so undervalued and underused by most people. And yet it is so simple and so easy uh, to introduce this into our normal daily routines and with great benefits. Not only can it improve our physical health, but also the more subtle benefits such as uh, a heightened sense of well-being and a sense of joy in life because breathing affects our emotions and mental states too. And so you mentioned that I do workshops and... Um, there's one thing I would like to share from those, and uh, because I teach this uh, yoga breathing workshop, and I say that you know if you think about breathing as a habit, we only have to tweak that habit a little bit, and but we all know that when we want to change a habit, it's we need to be a bit determined and we need to be a bit smart as well. So this is what I would like to talk a bit about today, and firstly, what kind of breathing that we can practice, and then I would like to share with you a routine that I have done from time to time that can help to jumpstart our practice of this breathing exercise without necessarily having to set off some extra time for it. But of course, you have to remember to do it and do it correctly. And in this routine, um, it may not quite uh, suit the circumstances for everybody, But you can think about ways you can adapt it to yourself. And uh, but always remembering that um, if you can set off time to practice yoga breathing and in the most conducive uh, circumstances, then of course that is the best. And it's important to remember that breathing is not only a physical movement involving the lungs, but uh, breathing exercises is actually a full body experience. And in the beginning, it's like you have to remember that. But with practice, you will actually experience it. And this is where you begin to feel the real benefits of breathing exercises. And this particular breathing exercise, the first one of those six, it's two things that we want to achieve. Uh, the first thing is we gradually want to make the in-breath and the out-breath the same length. And the second thing we want to achieve is that both the in-breath and the out-breath becomes deeper and longer. And it is so simple. And probably most people would just look past it. But with regular practice, 
it will tell a very different story. And especially if you are able to set off a special time where it's very peaceful around you, you sit upright in a chair and you can really focus on that breathing exercise. But this is probably that's difficult for most people because we are so busy in our lives. And so they will try this once or twice and then it gets all forgotten about and they don't get to experience the benefits. So what I would like to share now is what, what I call a walking routine that I do from time to time and which I believe can help people to just jumpstart, to get to practice on a regular basis without necessarily having to set off time for it. And so you, this you can do if you're walking to work or you're walking to the bus or maybe you are a person that do uh, walking for exercise. And um, this, is a, this is what I do. I, I'm fortunate in that I can walk to work uh, every day. And so what I do is... Um, and although we can't do walking just now because we are just um, in this radio show, we could just sort of imagine ourselves um, doing this walking, but we can sort of tune in with the breathing and the counting. So what happens is that I walk to work. I have a regular pace. The breath is just flowing naturally and normally, and I'm not thinking about uh, any particularly about the walking or the breathing. I'm probably thinking about some mundane uh, things um, that, for example, about work or that kind of thing. And then I remember, oh, now I'm going to do this breathing exercise. <laughs> so then I start to count my steps, but without interfering with how I walk or I breathe. And then I notice how many steps I'm making on my in-breath. And once I got the count, or the number of steps on the in-breath, I apply the same number of steps on the out-breath. And when I do this, I make my in-breath and the out-breath the same length of time. And so I allow myself to get really absorbed in the breathing while I'm making sure the in-breath and the out-breath have the same count of steps. And after I've done this for a while, I decide to lengthen the breath by adding one extra step on the in-breath and the same on the out-breath. And again, I carry on for a while with this new length of breathing. And once I feel established, I increase by adding another step. And carefully and gradually, I increase the length of the breath. So the length of the in-breath and the out-breath keeps in balance. And sometimes I've experienced that the length of breathing eventually doubles from what I started with. But how long the breath is does not really matter. The important thing is that you actually gradually, it gets longer and deeper from where you started off. And as you keep walking and your breath is getting deeper and longer, your mind is becoming more and more absorbed in the rhythm of the breathing and the counting. And once you feel, again, feel really established in that rhythm, and it's almost to the point where you don't need to count any longer to keep the rhythm, you can then add a silent affirmation. And that is, I am now purifying my mind and body. And as I mentioned earlier, 
It is the full body experience. So you have to allow your mind and awareness to become really absorbed in this whole experience. And while you're saying, I'm now purifying my mind and body. And this, so once you do this uh, and find the time to do this, because you're actually walking anyway, uh, then you will have practiced quite a bit. So when you are actually finding the time to sit down and do the yoga breathing, and this type of breathing exercise properly, it's it's like you have jumpstart yourself. You can get into it so much more. And not everybody's doing walking. So for those people, you could do this um, when you <clears throat> go to bed at night, you turn off the lights, and then you can spend a bit of time going through this process. So because I found that my workshops, um, you can get across this, uh, practice this exercise but the real problem is actually to get to do it to practice it and the thing with yoga breathing and these breathing exercises is that it you, you just have to experience to realize the value of it and the only way to do it is to have regular practice of it so any tweaks or what they call life hacks that you can use to be able to practice is very very helpful and um and richard you probably can talk a bit more about uh that little booklet uh contact your higher self through yoga which um absolutely Ola, thank you thanks so much for that because that's giving people something really practical they can do and i love the idea of the steps and when you're on a walk and you can turn that into a spiritual practice so thanks so much olaf solberg for the, being our guest presenter today, all the way from New Zealand. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank Thanks you. Thanks a lot. Richard. And uh, yes, you mentioned contact your higher self through yoga, which is is available, and also those practices and an advanced form of them is also available in Realize Your Inner Potential. Now, I think we've just got time to go to Darren Ball for another comment or question. Darren. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Richard. I thought we could finish with this one here, which we got in from a, you know, following one of our recent shows. And this person just says as follows. So thanks very much for such an interesting show. It was particularly helpful for me to listen to your comments about the need for bravery in the face of ridicule from family and even friends, as this is something that I've experienced for a number of years now. The spiritual path does indeed require bravery. It certainly does. Well, thank you, Darren. Thank you all for sending in your questions and your comments. And thanks for listening. And thanks to, again to Tanya and Olaf Solberg. Thanks to Pete Higginson for the readings. And, of course, to Darren Ball, who, as I say, holds uh, he's not the glue, but he puts the glue in and holds this show together. And let's finish, as we always finish, on the Spiritual Freedom Show with these words from the Nine Freedoms. And they are, I'm sure you all know them now. You can join in if you like. Service is the jewel in the rock of attainment.